Chabba. The more the merrier, I think. A lot of the rituals are going to be foreign to your family and friends, right? They're going to be sitting at your wedding, especially if you have a very heavily Jewish-customed wedding, especially if you call the rabbi. They are going to be sitting in a wedding ceremony that is foreign to them. But can you add that heirloom? Can you add that special touch to your chuppah, which is front and center, represents your new home, your new family together? 100%. Make sure you discuss it with your rabbi or your officiant. Okay, stick up for yourself and, you know, stick up for the things that are important to you. God willing, you're only going to get married once. I mean, weddings are fun, but they're not that fun. My goodness. No, you're only, hopefully you're only going to get married once. Make it, make that chuppah, make whatever aspects are important to you, make them you. Okay? And remember the four magic words. If anybody's trying to tell you what to do with your chuppah, do you guys remember what they are? Rabbi Leanne says, no. Literally just say that. Maybe they'll respect me because I have a podcast, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Are you planning a Jewish or interfaith wedding? Are you lost on where to even begin planning the ceremony, let alone finding a rabbi to help you? Well, it doesn't matter whether one of you is Jewish or you're both Jewish. You deserve a guide. So take a deep breath. I promise it will all be okay. Welcome to Your Jewish Wedding with Rabbi Leanne. Here, I can be everyone's rabbi. (laughs) Yours too. My guests and I will share everything we know to help make your Jewish or interfaith wedding full of tradition and perfectly yours. Hello, everyone. I am so glad to be here with you today. Autumn is here. I think that our third summer is finally over. And for the moment, at least, I am just in a cozy bubble of my office with my microphone and my notes for this show talking to all of you. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm glad you're here as well. Today, we're going to speak about the chuppah, Now that in the last episode, we went through all the history and background of what made the chuppah what it is, why do we have it, let's talk about, okay, you're going to have a chuppah at your ceremony or you're considering it. Maybe you're thinking, well, it's enough just to have it and people will think it's just a beautiful canopy and I will feel connected to my Jewish heritage. I don't think that I'm going to make things weird by mentioning what it symbolizes or, you know, by making it too Jewy. And like, listen, I understand that impulse. Quick side note, I was like, I need some art for my living room, like a big piece. I have a stone fireplace. Our house is like a 1938 build. It's very cool. And I needed something for above it. I was sort of like sick of having, well, I had had a map of the United States above there, like a cool, um, anyway, I wanted to replace it. And I was like, you know what? I should support a Jewish artist. I'm going to go on Etsy and find a Jewish artist and you know, just have like some cozy Jewish vibes in my living room. And I was on Etsy for a little bit and all the Jewish art was like really Jewy. I feel bad saying that, but it's true. It was like, it was just very obviously Jewish and almost like overbearingly. So, you know, like almost like 
I don't want to say preachy, but like I didn't want anything with like Hebrew quotes on it. I didn't want, you know, I just wanted some Jewish art that like represented the way I feel about being Jewish, which is obviously I really like it. So you know what? I am going to show you the piece of art that I bought because I want you to see it. I'm going to like a link. Hopefully I can link to the artists to the picture of it. Let me just make a note of it. Like I wanted something and I told the artist when I ordered it, I was like, I, I love this because it's Jewish, but it's not like Jewish, you know? Okay. And she was like, I perfectly understand. So anyway, maybe you want your wedding to be Jewish, but not like Jewish, which I understand. You know, remember what we said back in the episode about creating a truly interfaith ceremony. You don't have to make it super Jewy, but I think that an explanation And by the way, when we meet or if you're meeting with your officiant and you say you want a Jewish wedding, she should ask you, like, what do you mean when you say that? Like, how Jewy do you want it to be? And usually the two qualifiers are mentions of God slash Torah or use of Hebrew. And I'm going to urge you to, if you're concerned about the level of Jewiness in your ceremony for any reason, make sure that you specify those what, you know, when you're first meeting with your officiant, your rabbi, whatever really important. Otherwise, you could end up feeling alienated from your own ceremony. We don't want that. Okay. So, but I do think that it's worth something of an explanation, especially because wedding canopies are like starting to be a little more fashion. You know, I know everybody like wants to be like the Jews. We're, it's, it's a very nice religion and culture, obviously. But I think that in the past few years, in the post-COVID wedding boom, a lot of people are trying to figure out what can be a unique and beautiful setting for their ceremony. And even if it's not a religious ceremony, which most ceremonies I'm learning are not. Like in the United States, most wedding ceremonies are not religious ceremonies because guess what? A lot of people aren't religious. But a lot of those people are like, you know what is beautiful? That thing that they have a Jewish wedding. So, it, you know, especially because of that reason, not saying it's bad, but like, if it's important to you that you have a chuppah because you're Jewish or because you're connecting to your Jewish heritage, please, you know, have your officiant throw an explanation in there or put an explanation in your wedding program if you have one of those and try to think of some way that it, you can make it yours, you know, not just like a generic one. Like even if it's just the same flowers that are in your bouquets or if you're a bride and groom, if, you know, there's a certain flower in the groom's boutonniere and the bride's bouquet, you know, maybe put them up there together and that represents that you're coming together into one home. I don't know. It doesn't have to be like obvious or weird. Okay. That's what I'm saying. But I want you to think about how can I make sure that people understand that this is important to me um, Jewishly. Okay. So as we said in the last episode, chuppas are fashion. Everybody knows it. It's very hard to make a chuppa look ugly. Okay. However, there are endless ways, endless ways to include your lives and your families and your heritage, both of your heritages, symbolically in your chuppah. And I really encourage you to think about how you can do that. You know, I know that the rest of your wedding, you don't want it to be just like everybody else's wedding. Why would you want your chuppah to be like just like everybody else's chuppah? Make it yours. It symbolizes your new home together. Well, that's one explanation of it. It's the most common explanation of it. it symbolizes your new home together. But it's not a religious symbol, right? It doesn't have to have anything to do with God. It doesn't have to have anything to do with like Jewish suffering in the desert. 
I just happen to like that explanation, you know, the, the glamping. I, you know, I like tents just as much as the rest of the religion does. Okay. But it is a cultural symbol. It's a traditional symbol. And we talked about all its meanings in the last episode. We, we might mention a few more in this episode. Just like all the other aspects of a Jewish ceremony that are the same, you as a couple should choose what your chuppah looks like, what it includes. You should be in charge of what the officiant says. You don't, if you have an officiant who is going to make the wedding a little Jewy, do you want your officiant to find the explanation for your chuppah on ChatGPT? I don't think you do. So, you know, you've put in the time to listening to these podcasts. God knows they're not short. Make sure you say, hey, could you explain the chuppah like this? Okay. Share the explanations that have meaning to you. Better yet, find a poem or a song you both like that speaks to those explanations and, and use that in your wedding. I always ask my couples if the meaning I'm going to share is okay, right? So if we've sat down in a meeting and they've said, hey, what does the chuppah represent? And I told them some of the things I just mentioned in the last episode. And they say, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Whatever works. When I write the outline for their approval, Okay, so I write an outline of each and every step in the Jewish wedding ceremony and in their ceremony as a whole. And then if there is a choice of explanations, for example, like with the smashing of the glass, with the chuppah, with the ring exchange, I make sure that the explanation I'm going to share is the one that they like. You would be surprised how many people want explanations like, it's just like Abraham and Sarah's tent. You never know what connections people are going to have to like Jewish stories, Jewish traditions. And so make sure that you're okay with all the explanations that your officiant is going to share. That goes with every, every single episode of this podcast, obviously, but it doesn't hurt to remind you guys. I'm not nagging, I promise. And, you know, as far as your ceremony vibe, you're like, is that even a thing? Like what? Yes, there are many different ceremony vibes. And I will do a whole episode on how you guys can figure that out together with your officiant or your rabbi. Okay, so let's talk about the setting for your chuppah. And I, you may hear me using chuppah interchangeably to mean the Jewish wedding ceremony or Jewish interfaith wedding ceremony in this podcast, whatever. It's the chuppah. There's this idea, and it is one of those ideas in in Jewish culture that people think is like the law. <laughs> about chuppahs. Okay, are you ready? There's this idea that a chuppah has to be outside. Like, you know, just like a Catholic wedding, you're not allowed to have them outside. Some people think that there's a rule, some kind of rule somewhere. I don't know who made the rules in these people's heads, but there's some kind of rule that the chuppah has to be outside. So I guess like if you're a Jewish person marrying a Catholic person, you know, good luck to you. Luckily for you, it does, that is not true. The chuppah does not need to be outdoors. It is, like most things we're going to discuss, not a law, but a custom. And it actually has a really romantic explanation for why the custom developed to, to have Jewish weddings outside. Okay, There's a verse in the OG soap opera, the book of Genesis from the Torah, very first book of the Bible, that we should be able to see the stars at our wedding because in that book of Genesis, God promised Abraham, the first Jew, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, like direct quote, okay? This brings us back to procreation as an emphasis in Jewish wedding ceremonies. Don't worry, this isn't the last you're going to hear about it. So there's an idea that if you are under the stars, then you will be blessed with many children. Listen, there's also, quick side note, 
The origin of the phrase Mazal Tov or Mazal Tov, Mazal refers to um, the constellations of the stars in the sky, and Tov means good. So Mazal Tov literally or Mazal Tov translates to um, a good constellation, and it comes from this idea, not a Jewish religious idea, that our lives are sort of marked and governed by the specific sky pattern. Is actually probably like a Persian thing. I don't know. Somebody who knows more about like astrological religious connections, email me at your Jewish wedding podcast at gmail.com. I want maybe come be a guest on the show and we'll talk all about Mazel Tov. But the idea is that because your wedding is such a beautiful event, that anytime we look up at the sky and it looks like the sky that was present at your beautiful wedding ceremony, God willing, then it is a lucky or a happy pattern of stars to be under because your wedding made it happy. And so anytime we have it in the future, it's going to be a good one. (laughs) Like this guy, this is going to be a good one because you guys made it good by having your wedding under this mazal, under this constellation of stars. Cool. Okay. So there's probably also the idea that you want to be under the actual mazal when you get married, like right under it. Okay. But that is... Yes, it is a strong idea. It's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty old school custom. However, there is plenty of precedent for an indoor chuppah. Okay, I found lots of old old photos of weddings. I found illustrations from before photos existed where the chuppah is inside the synagogue, right in front of the ark, the Aron Hakodesh, where the Torahs are kept inside there. So, like right on the bima, which is sort of like an altar in the church. And even in in this one picture, I saw the bride and the groom are like sitting down. I'm going to try and find a link. Here, let me put that in the show notes. So I I will try and find that for you. (laughs) If there's no link there, I'm sorry. I guess that means I forgot about it. I'm trying real hard, guys. Okay. So it is okay to get married inside of a shul, inside of a synagogue. Perfectly fine. Okay. Don't worry about it. Um, So there are actually some centuries old halakhic opinions that it's bad luck to get married indoors because you can't see the stars. So it's like you're rejecting future children. God forbid. No, I know that none of you are doing that. And it makes me think, what did these guys think about daytime weddings? People get married during the day all the time. They can't see the stars. Are they not going to have kids? Eh. But um, these rabbis and they're like, whatever. Why were they even talking about chuppahs? I don't know. They basically said that if you get married in a shul and you have bad luck, you only have yourself to blame. <laughs> what? That's so fakakta. Anyway, I know for a fact that there are many shuls. Now, here's an interesting tidbit about synagogues. If you go inside a synagogue and you notice this, now you'll know why. There is a built-in skylight in many synagogues. Beautiful windows that let in the skylight, obviously, but also allow you to see the stars. Okay. So if you have a a wedding planned, and maybe it's planned to be outside, but um, you live in the Midwest where it could be raining any second, you know, maybe it's cloudy, maybe it looks like it's going to rain, maybe it's actually raining. If you need to move it inside because you don't want your guest and yourself to be wet on your wedding day, then you still can see the stars. Meh, wonderful. Um, so, but it still makes me wonder okay, then what if you're inside the synagogue and it's cloudy or it's raining? Then is that bad luck? Because you're still, the stars are still like there. It's not your fault it's cloudy or raining. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Okay. So now you know why there's a skylight in like so many synagogues. So, I actually think this whole outdoors thing it is it goes back to Judaism's aesthetic of like universal accessibility. Okay, let me explain. This idea that we're all equal at certain times of our lives 
is true um, for different life cycle events, most notably funerals. So at a Jewish funeral, every person who has a Jewish funeral is buried in the same quote unquote clothing, which is not really clothing at all, the same garments, and everybody gets the same coffin. Like in Israel, you don't even get a coffin. There's no, you know, you go straight, straight in. Um, and the idea for for that is, and you're not even supposed to have really fancy funerals. If you know, in in Jewish tradition, the funerals are just like very bare bones. Why? Because everybody's equal in death. And when the person is not alive to like sort of speak up for herself, you don't want anybody to think that she was like a better person because she had a fancy funeral. So, but the idea is, I guess, similarly, that simcha or joy is something that all of us can and should have access to. Okay, so if we get the idea that. We can only have a wedding if we have a very fancy chuppah, if we can afford a lot of flowers for it or whatever. It might discourage people from feeling comfortable having a wedding and inviting people to the wedding. And it's a big mitzvah, actually. It's a big commandment in Jewish tradition to make brides and grooms happy, like to help them celebrate on their big day. Isn't that sweet? So, um, you know, if we have a chuppah and we know it's supposed to have four poles and we know it's supposed to be outside, like how fancy could you really make it? You know, we, we're, a chuppah is supposed to be simple. It's not supposed to be show-offy. Um, and we're saying that everybody has access to this happiness of standing under a chuppah and, and building a home together. Now, I'm not shaming you. Like if you had like a super bougie, fancy chuppah, zaygazan, enjoy yourselves. I'm very happy for you. But I, I'm saying I think that that's maybe where the origins of this idea that like, no, it's just four poles and it's just outside, like, because that way every anybody and everybody can have access to that um, to that custom and that marker of Jewish celebration, which is like very, you know, social justice. I like it. Um, so it's, you know, the simplicity is aesthetic and tradition, which is nice. So as we saw in our historical text in the last episode, the idea of the chuppah being a canopy stretched across literal poles or branches is an old one, okay? So think about it. In 200 CE, there was no Jewish wedding Instagram. There was no Etsy. There was not even florists, okay? So if you think about it, hoisting a large cloth over a couple's heads was probably a pretty special thing in itself. Like it's instant drama, right? Oh, we're making drama. Like I know that we live in tents and whatever. I talked all about tents in the last episode, but like this is drama, it's beautiful. It automatically makes something fancy. Like when you hang up the happy birthday sign in your dining room, when you hear like one of your kid's friends is coming over for Shabbos and it happens to be like their birthday or their birthday weekend, you put up the sign, you put up a couple like little streamers, instantly festive, right? Same thing with the chuppah, I think. And it does have the benefit of being that automatic focal point. It draws everybody. To, they know exactly where they need to look. Um, and there is no size requirement for the chuppah. It should be pretty small because it's meant to be a space for just the two of you. Okay, we're not putting out the tent in the backyard for the tailgate. It's a house, symbolic house. And you two are the only foundation, okay? But so now I talked about simplicity, but you're like, okay, Rabbi Leanne, you told us how we were going to be able to make it ours, how we were going to be able to customize it. Don't worry, I'm here for you. So some points. The chuppah can be any color. It can be decorated with literally anything. Okay. So speaking of the poles, all right, we've talked about birch chuppas. We've talked about metal chuppas. I have a couple who built a chuppa that was that had four by fours as the corner. It could be PVC pipe. I've seen people do. Anything that 
you can imagine turning into a pole to hold up a chuppah that's at least like eight feet tall because it's shorter than it sounds, eight feet tall. You want your chuppah to look like the Whomping Willow from Harry Potter with the blue car stuck in the corner. Enjoy. Cool. You want it to look like an actual tent because you guys actually love camping. Fine. Um, there is a custom that stretches back a couple hundred years, I think, that when um, a baby boy was born, they would plant a cedar tree. And when a baby girl was born, they would plant an acacia tree. And then they would use branches from those trees, which I guess were pretty fast growing trees um, as the chuppah poles. So it, you really can use anything. Like if you guys like to go hiking somewhere and it's, I don't know, maybe there's like a lot of pine trees, then then put pine boughs on it or whatever. Okay. So I have a Pinterest page. I know it's very old school, but it's like, man, it's so easy to pin things. And there's so many beautiful chuppas. So my, my most populated Pinterest page is actually the one with like chuppa ideas because I like to point people towards that if they ask me like, we're just really stumped. I will tell you, I got married 19 years ago. Pinterest was not a thing. Wedding Instagram was not a thing. Okay. Sadly, for all my chuppa ideas, not for me, I am never getting married again. I've said it once on this podcast. I've said it twice. I'll say it again. Never getting married again. So this Pinterest is like literally just for you guys, but I have fun. There are many things about contemporary weddings that I could not have cared less about. And even today, I think I would be like, nope, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. But but I personally would have 100% had at least two chuppas. There are just too many kinds to choose one. To choose one. Like, I am not joking with you. I don't know if I would have slipped my ceremony in two. Maybe I would have had like the ketubah signing under one. Maybe one would have looked like the Whomping Willow. And then maybe one would have been like the classy metal. I don't know. But God willing, we all only have one wedding. You choose one chuppah. If you want to have two chuppas, don't count on getting married again. It's not, I, I don't think that sounds fun. Do you? Okay. So how should you as a couple go about figuring out what kind of chuppah you should have for your wedding? Well, first of all, I always say this, close your eyes and imagine what does your wedding ceremony look like? If you're imagining a chuppah, what does the chuppah look like? Copy it. Maybe it is the metal poles and the simple white canopy. Maybe you like the symbolism of a simple white canopy because it's a blank slate. You guys are starting new. Maybe it's just your aesthetic and you wanted the chuppah to be beautiful and not standing out from your photos. And that was important to you. Fine. But remember, the chuppah is representative of your home together and everything that each of you is bringing to it and then everything that you want your new home to be together. So I'm going to encourage you to make it reflect that idea as much as you can, as much as you want to, the best of your ability. And listen, maybe a value in your home is that simplicity and that accessibility and that blank slate. And you are having the white cloth. We don't have to give an explanation of the chuppah in your wedding ceremony, not the details, not the design choices. That's not necessary, but I do want you to have a connection to it. Okay. So just like think about like, what, what does this represent? Why do I like this? Okay. Because Home is such a central concept to not just Jewish weddings, but like all of Jewish tradition. Everything Jews do is really centered around the home. Like, we, yes, we have synagogues and they are important, but like, do you know how many holidays they're just celebrating in your dining room? Hello, Passover. Okay. So home is really important. What does home mean to the two of you? So because you each are coming to this marriage and you're building this new home with plenty of influences and plenty of 
parts of your past that you want to honor and hold up and move forward and and give and pass on to your children, think about including family heirlooms in your chuppah. I really want to encourage all of you, the Jewish people in the couples, the non-Jewish people, what are important things, objects, or symbols from your heritage, from your upbringing, from your past that you can include in that chuppah? If you don't have anything, like, oh, Rabbi Leanne, you know, they came on the boat through Ellis Island. They lost everything. We don't, there's nothing. We got nothing. Fine. Let's think about heirlooms in the future tense as well. Fine. You don't have a family kiddush cup. You don't have a prayer shawl. You don't have anything that comes from your family of origin. You don't have a mantia from your great grandmother. You've got nothing. Can you imagine something that you would want to be important in your family? in your future family, okay? An object, a piece of cloth, a anything, a quilt. One thing we talk a lot about when I talk with my couples is that each simcha, every single Jewish celebration is that chance to add a new heirloom into your family tree. And when you use that object at a wedding, it takes on the importance of being something that you chose to use for a special occasion. Whether or not it just came in the mail from Etsy last week, that's fine. And because it was used at your wedding in as part of your chuppah, it gets like the good vibes from that day. It carries the memories with it. You know, every time you look at that quilt or that tablecloth or that um, that bunch of flowers, maybe it's like a copy of the bouquet your grandmother carried and you're gonna use it as a decoration for the chuppah. Whatever it is, Anytime you look at that object or you look at the photos of that object, automatically the memory of grandma is going to be recalled for you. Or automatically you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that cup we chose for our ceremony, let's use that for God willing our baby naming. Or let's use it for Passover or Shabbat. It carries with it the memories and the love that you gave to it by including it. Okay? So Oftentimes, I have had a couple who's completely stumped about what they can contribute to the chuppah, and I think sometimes, oftentimes, they feel bad about that. Seriously, you all feel so guilty about so many things, especially related to Judaism. Don't. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will come back, and I will give you some ideas for what to include in your chuppah if you're stumped, and also tell you about some of the things that some of my other couples used for their chuppah when we come back. Welcome back. I've got my my headphones back in. So I told you, I have had a lot of couples who are stumped. I ask them, is there anything you want to include in your chuppah? Anything that represents you? Anything that is an heirloom? Anything that you want to be special to your family moving forward? And they're like, uh. Now I will say that this Jewish wedding planning stuff can be really overwhelming, right? Because it's a lot you don't know. So don't worry. Okay. That's why you're listening to this podcast to get some ideas. That's why I linked my podcast. Excuse me. I linked my Pinterest page with chuppahs on it to the show notes. So you can go click around. You will, for every chuppah you click on, it'll give you like 10 more at the bottom. So, Zygazen, enjoy yourselves. I encourage one of the things that I love to encourage couples to do because I know by the time you talk to me, y'all have already spent so much money. How much did you spend on your flowers? Thousands of dollars. You've got, which, listen, I'm friends with a lot of florists, worth every penny beautiful work. Okay. But you're spending, you already paid the caterer, you paid the cake lady, you're, you paid your photographer. You're like, now I have to make 
the chuppah custom as well? No. Okay. If you are like stressing about your chuppah, my go-to piece of advice is for the for the cover of the chuppah, go buy a literal tablecloth, like an online $8 tablecloth, whatever. If you use like a white, cream, green, whatever color tablecloth, like, you know, get a 10 foot square tablecloth, they exist, use it on top of your chuppah, then you can either use it as a tablecloth later or fold it up, put it somewhere special, say, you know, give it to your children, your grandchildren. This is the tablecloth we used for our chuppah. Instant heirloom. Do you see what I'm talking about? Maybe you have a sibling who wants to use it. Maybe, you know, your whole friend group is having a wedding and they're like, gosh, that chuppah is beautiful. Maybe everybody wants to use it. And now you have that connection forever. Maybe a couple wants to take the canopy, the tablecloth down off the top of the chuppah and ask every, give everybody at your wedding a Sharpie at the reception and have them sign it. You know, it's not a holy object, right? You don't have to, you know, vacuum steal it or treat it with care or whatever. Its entire importance is that it lived through that moment of space and time that you did. And that's why it's important. It absorbed all that joy, well wishes, all the things. And every time you look at it, whether it's been signed by everybody at the reception or it has an inappropriate drawing on or whatever it is, you will remember that day. You know, and that's part of the whole goal, right? And I will say this again, it's really important. The entire significance of your specific chuppah design, the only reason it matters is because it means something to you. If somebody tells you there's like a special requirement for it, if somebody tells you that your chuppah design is disrespectful or shabby or weird, tell them, tell them the four magic words that we went over in the last podcast episode. If you're listening to this solo episode and someone tries to tell you something to do that you have to do for your Jewish wedding, I want you to remember these four magic words. Are you ready? Rabbi Leanne says, no. No, it's not too shabby. No, it's not too simple. No, it's not too fangirly. Whatever. Your chuppah should be important to you. So anyway, back to my Pinterest page. I have only pinned like 30 chuppahs and I say only because there are thousands and thousands more. Go there. You will see the diversity of chuppahs that you can use. There are ones with flowers, different cloths. Yes, of course, that's what we expect, but there are also ones with streamers and shawls and hand embroidered ones and quilts. And the list goes on and on and on. Okay. Your chuppah can be more things than you can even imagine. So with regard to your family heirlooms, if you're thinking about like, okay, but how can I possibly include a family heirloom? Like my family heirlooms are not big giant cloths. Okay. First of all, there are ways we'll talk about in a second, but a lot of people ask me if it matters, if the heirloom is a Jewish heirloom. So I'm pretty sure they're thinking of the tried and true chuppah cover, which is a Jewish prayer shawl, right? You've seen it a lot. There's like, it's like a big, like a rectangular, usually white shawl thingy with black stripes or blue stripes. And it's got tassels on the sides called tzitzit. Of course, those chuppahs with the, with the prayer shawls on top are lovely, especially if it's been passed down through your family or if it was like your bar mitzvah prayer shawl or something like that. Um, so you might be thinking of that and saying like, okay, well, that's like a, that's a Jewish heirloom, you know? But no, it doesn't have to be a Jewish heirloom. It can be any kind of shawl, any kind of tablecloth, any kind of quilt. It can have anything you want on it, okay? If it is, I don't know, the a veil from your first communion, or maybe your mom kept a bunch of your onesies or 
t-shirts from concerts you went to together and they want to make a canopy out of that. Enjoy. Okay. I will give you some examples of chuppahs that my couples have had that involved family heirlooms. Okay. Are you ready? One couple used his father of blessed memories prayer shawl. So his father passed away when he was a teenager. Um, they used his father's prayer shawl. We talked about it a lot. It was very emotional as part of the ceremony. This is a couple who had done something really cool, though, that I want to talk about because we considered something different for their chuppah. They asked all their guests to send them one-line mantras for living a good life. Like, how cool, right? The couple did consider like writing all of these on scraps of cloth or on a larger cloth and using that to like help cover the chuppah. In the end, they decided that they wanted the groom's father's tallest to stand alone, his prayer shawl to stand alone though, and that understandable, right? They wanted his dad to have a big part in the ceremony and they just didn't want to obscure it with anything. So it was just that prayer shawl and the four poles, fine. We did actually use those mantras in a different setting though. It was very cool. And we will talk about that when we get to the seven blessings episode. But if you want to know, just send me an email, yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com and I'll tell you all about it. So one couple, I believe they did use the bride's bat mitzvah prayer shawl well, one of the brides bought mitzvah prayer shawls. There were two brides in this wedding. They had built their own chuppah structure. So their idea was they had built the chuppah structure together. So the poles, it was super solid. This is the one that was like four by fours. They moved the whole structure to their backyard after the wedding, super sturdy. And then obviously they took the bride's bat mitzvah prayer, sh- prayer shawl off of it after the wedding, but they stored it away. And then when they had their first baby... They wrapped her up in the prayer shawl and they took everyone, all their guests at the baby naming, out to stand under their chuppah structure. And now instead of being on top, the prayer shawl was wrapped around the baby. It was so nice. I loved it. And I think they said they were thinking about using it for a sukkah, but you know, I don't know if they did that. Anyway, one of my couples hung a bunch of stuff on their chuppah. So there were at least two family prayer shawls up there. And then along with that, one of the brides hung her family's tartan which is a Scottish woven pattern, I think that's like particular to each family, like a family crest. So they were just showing all of the influences and memories that they were bringing to their married life and home together and hopes to carry it forward. Okay. They were both Jewish. So they had like, maybe they had three prayer shawls. If you're listening to this, tell me, I think there were three up there plus the tartan. There's like one on each corner. I don't know. It was very cool. So the other important thing in terms of heirlooms you can consider is the actual structure. So I had a couple who had this giant tree in their backyard. They were planning to use some of the branches from that tree to either create the structure or decorate it. When they had bought this home, I think this is the story. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if you're listening. And when they had bought this home, that was like one of the things that they loved the most about the home was like the tree in the backyard. And for the bride, especially, I think she hadn't ever had a tree like that in any of the places she lived. And it felt Like she was really putting down roots. It felt safe and permanent to her. And she really wanted to incorporate that tree. I loved it, obviously. Um, So they were going to put some branches from that tree on the chuppah. They ended up not doing that because they didn't, they were like worried about bringing bugs into the fancy hotel, which I get it. It's understandable. Um, So instead, they used one of the branches to handcraft their kiddish cup instead, which was very cool. Like this guy has like a lathe and then he coated in something. I don't know. It was really cool, the kiddish cup. So, um, and then obviously this thing with the trees makes me think about the tree that was planted at birth. You use branches from that for the chuppah, but I don't know, maybe you guys are like nature people. Maybe you both really like hiking or, you know, like I said, like maybe you have a favorite tree. People have favorite trees. Some people like birch trees. I, I really like those red maples. And especially if it's like 
got seasonal blossoms or like colored leaves and you want to use that, if it's like a favorite memory for you, you know, anything goes, guys. So <clears throat> anyway, when so any anyway, oh, I and I meant to say that the types of trees that were traditionally planted for boys and girls when they were born and then used in their chuppah are actually mentioned in the Bible as the type of wood that was used. Remember the last episode we talked about God's tent among the Israelite encampments. God had a fancy tent and it specifically mentioned those kinds of wood. So it's kind of like calling God's presence into that space if you use the same type of wood. So any kind of symbolic wood for any reason, maybe it's mentioned in your favorite book, put it on your chuppah. Great. Um, so now let's talk about future heirlooms. Okay. We've talked about past heirlooms. Let me give you some examples of couples of mine who have used future heirlooms for their chuppah. Okay. There was one couple that was really at a loss over what to use for their canopy, but the bride was like really into this idea, which I love. And she was like, no, no, I, I do want it to be really meaningful. Like, you know, what can we do? So I said, buy a literal tablecloth. (laughs) I cannot say this enough. And just make it the tablecloth that you guys use for special occasions, right? So anytime. So anyway, they had a themed wedding that was actually like kind of themed around the location, the venue that they had the wedding. It was the um, National Aviary in Pittsburgh. So it was like birds. They love birds, love zoos. It's like their thing as a couple. So they found this beautiful tablecloth that involved like lots of cranes and pelicans, which were the birds that were in the exhibit room where he proposed to her. So they use that as their chuppah cover. I'll try and put a link to the image in the show notes or like the blog post where I talked about their wedding. Um, And you can see it. So cool. All right. Now there's another couple that I have coming up. I am actually, we are using my birch pole chuppah as the structure at their ceremony. Um, But they didn't Like I have a cover, like a generic cover that I bring. And actually it is like a literal tablecloth. And if a couple uses it, I will just give it to the couple after the ceremony so that they have it. But they had this situation where, you know, I said, you already are spending so much money. They had chosen the linens for their ceremony. And there was one pattern that the bride loved. She loved it so much. And surprise, surprise, it was so much more expensive than the plain colors. And so their compromise was that they could have the linen pattern that she loved, but only for the sweetheart table. So they said, we are going to take the sweetheart table tablecloth, use it for the chuppah canopy, and then we will always remember that that was our sweetheart tablecloth. Isn't that clever? But you know, I have also seen people on purpose create chuppah covers that will become heirlooms like they make quilts. They ask everybody to send a little scrap of fabric from something that represents some time they spent together. Or they will print pictures on squares and make it into a quilt or a tapestry, especially guys, if you have a bubby or a mom or a tailor in your family who needs something to do to be like really honored, have them make you something, a quilt. Collect different pieces from every single one of your guests that are important. Okay. I have had a couple who had a family heirloom that was really important, a rosary, the the grandmother's rosary. And the grandmother was of blessed memory, not actually at the wedding because she had passed on. Um, They were considering hanging a rosary there, but I think they decided against it. Um, I think it was part of her bouquet instead, or maybe just under the chuppah. Um, But I've seen couples with um, Hispanic backgrounds. They have a mantilla, which is 
I guess like a dressy shawl or one used for special occasions that was used in oh church because you had to cover up in the cover up your shoulders in the Catholic Church. So um, they use the mantilla from you know different events in past weddings. You know, not Jewish, but it was a beautiful family heirloom. I think I actually mentioned in the episode about truly interfaith ceremonies actually that in some Catholic traditions for weddings they will use something called a nuptial veil, and that is explicitly explained as representing the protective clouds when the Jews were wandering the desert. So it's like a Catholic tradition that has a really Jewy explanation. Very interesting. Um, And that is actually just holding a veil over the couple while they're kneeling at the altar for some prayer, which is the same vibe as a chuppah. So if you have a nuptial veil that runs in your family or that belongs to even like the church that you're a member of, ask if you can borrow it and bring it to the chuppah. That's fine. I want it to represent you. I want it to be something that you have a really strong connection to that is always part of your memories of that day, okay? Now, of course, in the in the interfaith ceremonies episode, we mentioned the mandap, which is an Indian wedding tradition. It's a, a cultural tradition, not, not tied to any specific religion in India. Um, and a mandap looks basically like a chuppah, except there might be like a little more on the sides in a lot of cases. And then there's like a, it's, it's also on top of a platform where the couple sits, um, lots of pillows and stuff is really cool. Um, and in Indian culture, from what I could find, there are explanations of why the mandap is used for weddings that are different from explanations for the chuppah. So ha- have your officiant, when she is explaining the chuppah, also have her, if one of you is Indian, or of Indian descent, have her include those other explanations. I think it's like for the four elements of the earth or something like that. Okay. It's absolutely fine. The chuppah is cultural, not religious. Okay. It doesn't have to mean anything about God unless you want it to. So if you have, like one of you is Indian or of Indian descent and wants to bring elements of that, guys, it's built in. You guys have the chuppah, you have the mandap. Give both explanations. Find the commonalities between them. You can do it. Your officiant can do it. You know, it's just another part of these podcasts where I'm going to implore you, please don't Google ceremony script. Like, please don't Google Jewish ceremony script, Indian ceremony script, and like copy paste, and that's what your officiant does. You know, work through every step. You guys owe it to yourselves for your ceremony to be like really personal to you. So I will finish by saying that one of the reasons I push this so hard, this customization of your chuppah to making sure that you really truly love it. Okay. I know there's a lot of things where there's like, there's a lot of pressure that do you truly love your wedding cake? Do you truly love your bouquet? And I've seen wedding vendors, we are all getting a little extra. Maybe some of you feel like I'm being a little extra with this whole ceremony thing. We're doing bouquet reveals and reception room reveals and, you know, everything's a dang reveal. Okay. I'm not saying you should have a a chuppah reveal, but I, you know, I do think you should put some thought into it. Um, Especially I really want you guys to consider customization when it comes to heirlooms, especially, especially with regard to interfaith couples, because this is one part of the Jewish ceremony. There are a few, but this is one part of the Jewish ceremony where no matter the person's background, no matter what religion you came from or still practice, no matter what culture you come from, your family, your history, your background can be very involved and integrated into this aspect of the Jewish wedding. And by the way, if you have an issue with your family where like maybe you've chosen to have a pretty Jewish wedding, maybe you called a rabbi and your family still goes to church and you're worried about them not feeling included or not feeling like respected in your wedding ceremony, if you are worried about that, really use this as an opportunity 
to make sure that your family, your non-Jewish family, is front and center in your Jewish-flavored ceremony. You know, the whole time they will be looking at you at that ceremony and seeing that you cared enough about bringing your background and bringing your heritage and your family's tradition forward that you put it onto the centerpiece of the wedding. And they don't have to do a reading and they don't have to stand under it. But just the fact that they'll be looking under it the whole time. Think of how that bride's family felt when they were at her ceremony and the whole time they saw her standing under her family's Scottish tartan. Actually, she's Jewish. There are Jews in Scotland. (laughs) Her family was Jewish. Um, Not saying that they weren't, but, you know, just the idea that you're looking at your at how important you were to your child who's getting married. Your son or daughter loved you and and wanted to carry your influence forward so much that they made you the centerpiece of your ceremony. And I think it's kind of an easy way to do it, guys, if you can imagine it at all. Okay. The chuppah is a Jewish symbol, but that doesn't mean that you can't add your own stuff. Your household will be a Jewish household to one degree or another, right? That's why you're listening to a podcast about Jewish weddings. That's why you called the rabbi, maybe. The chuppah is a symbol of your new home together. But I want to end by saying this. Every marriage, no matter who is each side of that couple, every marriage is a fine balance of individuality and unity. Even if you're both Jewish, even if you're both atheists, it's still going to be a marriage between two different people. Right? Y'all know what we say, two Jews, three opinions. No one person is exactly like another, even if they come from the same background, whatever. Let's make sure that we acknowledge that if if that moves us and if we can. Every marriage is a fine balance of individuality and unity. The whole that is your family unit is made up of so many parts. A Jewish wedding should never erase that or try to hide it. Oh my goodness, I don't want any of you to feel like you have to hide where you come from, what's important to you, your grandmother's rosary. You don't. Put it on the chuppah. The more the merrier, I think. A lot of the rituals are going to be foreign to your family and friends, right? They're going to be sitting at your wedding, especially if you have a very heavily Jewish customed wedding, especially if you call the rabbi. They are going to be sitting in a wedding ceremony that is foreign to them. But can you add that heirloom? Can you add that special touch to your chuppah, which is front and center, represents your new home, your new family together? 100%. Make sure you discuss it with your rabbi or your officiant. Okay, stick up for yourself and you know, stick up for the things that are important to you. God willing, you're only going to get married once. I mean, weddings are fun, but they're not that fun. My goodness. No, you're only, hopefully you're only going to get married once. Make it, make that chuppah, make whatever aspects are important to you, make them you, okay? And remember the four magic words. If anybody's trying to tell you what to do with your chuppah, do you guys remember what they are? Rabbi Leanne says, no, literally just say that. Maybe they'll respect me because I have a podcast, you know, I don't know. Anyway, as always, I want to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, additional information about chuppahs, please, please email me. I will not be offended, upset, insulted. You know what I say. There's always something I'm missing because there's always more learning to do. So please email me at yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com and ask me questions. Give me comments. I'll read them on the next episode if you want me to. I mean, if you're okay with it, like I'd love that. Also, if you want to share your experience with creating a chuppah, 
or deciding on a chuppah. Or better yet, if you want to tell me about your entire Jewish or Jewish interfaith wedding, the planning experience, the actual ceremony, whatever, any decisions, any ramp up, maybe you heard on episode, I believe it was 11, the first, the inaugural A Jewish Wedding Story episode of Your Jewish Wedding Podcast with John and Aaron talking about their backyard interfaith wedding. Um, I want to do so many of those. I want to talk to so many people about their Jewish weddings. So I would love to have you on the show. Your Jewish Wedding Podcast at gmail.com. Tell me, I want to be on the show. Or even just, you know, I can read your account of your Jewish. You don't have to like talk on the on air. If you want me to share like just a little, little story about your Jewish wedding, I would love to do that. Your Jewish Wedding Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, everybody. I hope this was helpful. I hope it gave you some things to think about. And most of all, I hope it helps to make your Jewish or Jewish interfaith wedding more your special, individual, connected wedding, because that's exactly what I want everybody's wedding to be. So thanks again for spending this time with me. I learned a lot, and I hope you did too. And remember, there is always more learning to do. Until next time. Well, everyone, I have had the best time being your rabbi for this episode. I'm so glad you joined me for another little bit of insight into planning your perfect Jewish or interfaith wedding. Until you can smash that glass on your big day, you'd might as well smash that subscribe button for this podcast. I don't want you to miss a single thing. Remember, you can always find me, Rabbi Leanne, on Instagram at at your Ohio rabbi, all one word, for even more tips, tricks, recommendations, and wisdom on Jewish weddings. If you want to work with me on your wedding, you'll find all the info you need at yourohiorabbi.com. Until next time, remember, you deserve the perfect wedding for you. Don't settle for anything less.